echo. Last week, we talked about eating with someone, actually three different people. Or if you're really busy, you can eat with three people at one time. But the point being, when you take time to eat with people and share bread with them, you also begin to share your life with them. And, and so, are you still tentative about these ideas? Or have you been able to begin to do them? Why don't you just take a minute and discuss how it's been going with someone nearby you? We'll just give you a minute here. try to gather us together. I know you're having some fun in conversation. Um, were you surprised if you did one of these things, if you blessed someone, if you ate with someone, did you experience a surprise? And maybe even more importantly, did the other people experience a surprise from you? When I was in high school, there was a, this will date me, uh, there was a Broadway hit called Jesus Christ Superstar. Now, you have to be a certain age to have remembered that because um, when I bring it up with the confirmation youth, it just right over their heads. And uh, they have no idea what this thing is. And, but that was my era. That's, I grew up with Jesus Christ Superstar. I was in, starting in high school um, and it had become a big hit over the last couple of years on Broadway, and they were playing some of the music on the radio, and so my brothers and I asked my parents if we could purchase the eight track <laughs> to Jesus Christ Superstar. And, uh, and, and this was my dad's response. He says, well, your grandparents are coming over this weekend. Let's, let's get your grandmother's perspective. And so, uh, my brother had checked out an 8-track <laughs> from the library with the music on it, and he played some of it for my grandmother. And she, her, her summation was, well, I'm not really keen about the music, but anything that can get you boys interested in Jesus, I think I'm for it. <laughs> and so... I remember those songs. They, I mean, they were really quite formative for me growing up. Um, always hoped that I'd be an apostle. Knew I could make it if I tried. Remember that song? Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus Christ, superstar. Are you the one who they think you are? I mean, all those different lyrics come back when I think on to that musical. And 
it's not just that musical. I mean, music has always been a formative part of my spirituality. When I went to seminary, one of my close friends introduced me to Mahler's Resurrection Symphony. And uh, so we had a tradition. After every final exam, we would gather at his apartment, and he would blast Mahler's Resurrection. I mean, blast it. Uh, we'd listen to that symphony, which lasted for nearly an hour. And not only that, but the Gospels. I remember when I was in high school, and I'm a little odd, and so you can ask me about that if you want, but um, I remember reading the Gospels over and over again. Matter of fact, I remember at Christmas time beginning to preach on Luke, on Luke 2 at our dinner table. And my dad said, um, maybe we should wait until after dinner. <laughs> then, then we'll hear your sermon. And, and so that was just kind of my nature, I guess. That's how I grew up. And, and so when I think about this, you know, I'm reminded of when I went to seminary and my, my advisor, um, beloved man, who scared the heck out of me in my class the first day I met him. Um, but when I met him in his office, as one of his advisees, he was the most gentle, loving people I'd ever, I'd ever met. And um, he had a comment about me. He said, Cruz, you're so Lutheran, and I think today we'd say, you're so Christian, you squeak. And, and so that was my formation. What's been your formation? How has Jesus come into your life? This week, Dr. Frost wants us to learn about Jesus. Not just learn about him, but to learn Jesus is the way he says it. And to learn Jesus means to steep ourselves in the words of Jesus, in the life of Jesus, and the experience of Jesus. We're going to take a look at the video clip here uh, for Learn Jesus, if you want to take a look up on the screen. Okay, so the third initial habit I want to talk to you about is called learning Jesus, which is an odd sort of expression to learn Jesus, but for the most part, I think missional people really need to be shaped by the example of Jesus. So we've looked at blessing, at eating, and now learning, B-E-L, learning Jesus. My experience has been, and I hate to have to break this to you, but I've met lots of Christian people who they know about Jesus, and they know that Jesus died for them, and they would say Jesus is their Lord and their Saviour. I'm not suggesting that they're not Christians. I'm, I'm sure that they love Jesus, but actually when you talk to them about Jesus, it's amazing how little they actually know about him. But I think that missional people need to be shaped by the teaching and the life and example of Jesus. And I just don't think there's any excuse for us saying that we want to be missional. Getting out in the world and, and blessing people and eating with them, building relationships with them, if we don't actually have the shape of Jesus as the one we're trying to live into. See, if you read the Gospels over and over and over, you become increasingly shaped by his teaching and by his example. I want you to know the Gospels. Marinate your soul in the Gospels. Don't just know Jesus' greatest hits. Don't just know Christmas, Easter, a couple of miracles, a couple of parables. I want you to know everything that he said and everything that he did. And I want you to be shaped by him. So here's the third missional habit. Find at least one space in your life, Saturday morning, Thursday night, whatever it might be. Just create the space to say, this is the time, aside from any other Bible reading I do, any other small groups I'm part of, 
this time solely is given over to simply immersing myself in the example of Jesus. So I want you to read the Gospels over and over and over. I want you to read them out loud. I want you to read them devotionally. I want you to use Bible reading material to study the Gospels. I want you to sit with, with Christ and Christ alone and simply enter into the story. Why is that important? Because if you're blessing people and eating with them, you're engaging meaningfully with them, I want you to talk about Jesus. I don't just want you to talk about how they're sinners and how Christ died for them. That's true and that may come up. But for the most part, I want you to be able to speak about this man that you love, who shapes you, who you want to be more and more like. Now, let me give you a weird example to illustrate this. I've got a friend who's a Trotskyite and a serious one. He reads Trotsky over and over and over. Uh, he was a, a Russian Bolshevik, a, a Marxist. Uh, this mate of mine reads him, is immersed in him. He can quote him like that. Like you'll be having a conversation socially and be like, oh, wow, actually that reminds me of something Trotsky said. In fact, in casual conversation, we're chatting about something he'll regularly say. Well, why would we be surprised about this? Trotsky said, and he can quote it. Or Trotsky once was doing something, he'd tell a story about it. That's Trotsky. I think to myself, if this guy can be so shaped by Trotsky that he can quote him, he can tell stories about him, he can drop him into conversation, then I question why can't Christians quote Jesus the way my mate can, can quote Trotsky? Why, why can't Christians like literally quote Jesus word for word? Why can't we regularly tell stories about Jesus? Why is it only just conversation about how you're a sinner and Jesus died for you as distinct from, hey, he's my friend, he's my, he's my hero, he's my saviour, he's everything I want to be more like. I'm shaping myself around the person of Jesus. Well, how can you do that? How can you answer the question, what would Jesus do, unless you're immersed in Jesus? So the third habit, learn Jesus. Read the Gospels over and over. In the book, Surprise the World, there's a whole bunch of resources, links to blogs and articles as well as chapters from books even films that you can watch that help you to get more and more into the person of jesus just find the space at least once a week to immerse yourself in the stories of jesus to learn jesus and to allow them to shape you and to fill your mind so that when you're engaging with people when you're eating with them when you're blessing them it's going to be much easier for you simply to drop the words of jesus or the example of jesus into conversation in a really, really natural and useful way. Highly missional people, they learn Christ. So the reason to learn Jesus is as you do these things of blessing people, eating with people, as you care for people, as you show um, a surprising way of treating people, different from how the world might treat them, care for them, you will be asked questions. Why are you different? And so what Michael Frost wants us to be able to do is to be able to share the motivation behind it, which really comes from our faith in Jesus Christ. To be able to share Jesus. To share Jesus, we have to learn Jesus. Now there's two ways that we can learn Jesus. One way is devotionally. And many of you, if not most of you, probably already are doing this. Or you take some time out in the morning or in the evening or during the day, and you have a devotional where you'll read a piece of scripture 
uh, perhaps reflect on that scripture. Maybe there's uh, additional commentary written about the scripture or a story about the scripture or a story that relates it to our lives. And then you might end with a prayer. And those devotionals are so very helpful because that helps to form our spiritual lives. But what this Learn Jesus really means is something in addition to the devotional aspect of it. To learn Jesus also means to learn Jesus not just devotionally, but missionally. To begin to, to wear Jesus, to live Jesus, to be like, in Martin Luther's words, a little Christ, to follow Jesus. And so when we, when we talk about learning Jesus missionally, it's because we want to be able to communicate you know, what Jesus means for us and to us. Because oftentimes the work that we're doing is motivated behind the motivation um, is this deep, devout faith in Jesus Christ. So by reading the Gospels and rereading them, by listening to your favorite Christian music, by watching movies and shows that depict Jesus, by studying the Gospels and some of the works about the Gospels, that's how we begin to immerse ourselves into Jesus' life. And that's where, you know, it's kind of strange, but I had this devout faith and belief in Jesus when I was a young, young adult. I mean, it was profound. I remember thinking that this faith was the most important thing in my life. This relationship that I have with Jesus was the most important thing in my life. Then I went on to college and to seminary, got married, you have a family, and all the other stuff kind of begins to pile on, right? You're taking care of all these other issues. You're trying to to live your life, develop your career. And, and it was 20 years later when I read a book that made me think back to that initial spark of faith that I had encountered with Jesus. And it was like going back there was the recovery of my soul. And that's what I want for you. That's what I want for every. This is the good news is that Jesus has come to make these connections with us, to, to enliven our lives, to bring us hope, to give us assurance, to teach us to trust. Because his presence is here with you and his presence will go wherever you go. So that is not questionable. The question is, how much do we want to live like Jesus? Or is it good enough just to know, as he said, the greatest hits? <laughs> A couple of parables, his birth, his death. Is that enough? So finally we get to Romans here. Paul specifically knows Jesus. This is part of the reason why we're preaching from this text. 
Paul knows Jesus, and he shares Jesus. I think that this introduction is really powerful because what he exhibits in this, in this introduction to the Christians in Rome is his knowledge of their faith and of their lives which are reflecting Jesus. So in his greeting to the Roman Christians, Paul begins by telling them the good news. That's another word for the gospel. The gospel is the Greek word for good news. So whenever you hear gospel, you can just translate it to say good news. And so that's what Paul is sharing here is the good news of Jesus. And the good news begins with Jesus, who was born in King David's family line. Let's take a look at verse 3. The good news is about his son. We could put a period there. There's a comma, but we could put a period there. The good news, the gospel, is about God's son. Period. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. Do you know your family line, your family history? Well, I know some about mine, but it's a lot messier than I thought it was. <laughs> you know, I, I grew up thinking I was three-fourths German and one-fourth Norwegian. And then my, my youngest brother did one of those uh, DNA tests. And gosh, we're like three-fourths, all kinds of different Scandinavian. It's mostly Swedish, which my Norwegian side is going to really rebel against. Um, you know, it, it was just kind of shocking. And I mean, there's even some English in me. Um, where did that come from? But what I do know, even though I don't know truly about my ethnicity, my background, what I do know is that I come from a spiritual ethnicity that is profound. That it was my parents and my grandparents, my aunts and my uncles who nurtured me in the Christian faith. And so even if my physical ancestry is a little messed up, that doesn't mean that my spiritual ancestry is messed up. If anything, it's all the stronger. And so when we begin to identify ourselves in this story, we can go back and realize that our identification comes from Jesus's identification. I mean, what Paul writes in that greeting is really phenomenal. Second half of verse three. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. Born into King David's family line. Let me see if I can find this. Second Samuel chapter seven. Many of you have heard me preach on this before, um, but I, I find this really fascinating. Verse 4, but that same night, this is Nate's story about uh, the prophet Nathan. I, I love Nathan um, because he is servant, a servant of David. He is a great prophet, but he is not afraid to speak the truth when God tells him to speak the truth. Nathan replied to the king, go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the Lord said to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord has declared. Not what 
Nathan told him, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? You see, David was going to build the temple in Jerusalem. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I have never lived in a house. This is God speaking. I have never lived in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day. I have always moved from place to place to another place with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling. Yet no matter where I have gone with the Israelites, I have never once complained to Israel's tribal leaders, the shepherds of my people Israel. I have never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house like you built King David? Now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of Heaven's armies has declared. I took from you, I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will, now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on earth. And I'll provide a homeland for my people, Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations will not oppress them as they've done in the past. Starting from the time I appointed judges to rule over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares, this is important here, furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you. He will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die, and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will set his royal throne forever, an eternal throne. I will be his father, and he will be my son. That's why it's important to know the family history. Jesus comes from the lineage of David because Jesus is the descendant that Nathan told David about that one day he would come in the name of God and he would declare a temple. Not build a temple. He would become the temple. The spiritual temple of God's people Israel and of all Gentiles all who come to call upon the Lord Jesus so in the genealogies of the gospel it is important to note that David I'm sorry that Jesus is born from the lineage of David he comes from David's line do you remember they went from Nazareth to Bethlehem the house of David for his birth. The good news continues in this greeting with the announcement that Jesus is the Son of God because of his resurrection by the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 4, we read about this. find it here. The good news, uh, this is verse 3. Um, 
good news about his son in his earthly life. He was born in the King David's family line, and here, here's verse 4. And he was shown to be the son of God. He was shown to be the son of God. So he had the prophetic word that the son of God would come. Now he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. The good news is the announcement that Paul gives us that Jesus, his status, his role as the Son of God is confirmed because he was raised from the dead. Jesus did many miracles and he taught many parables and it's important to know them all. But it's also important to know that he was physically raised from the dead. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, that there were more than 500 witnesses to the resurrection. This is extraordinary. The Greeks were a skeptical group of people, uh, much like, I think, many Americans today. And so Paul would not put in a claim that wasn't factual, a claim that he could not verify. There were over 500 people who had witnessed Jesus' resurrection. And Paul being one of them. In, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he talks about that. I passed on to you what was most important and what had been passed on to me. That Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him for I am the least of the apostles. The resurrection of Jesus is attested to repeatedly in scripture. And Jesus' resurrection is a historical reality. That means that your sins are truly forgiven. I mean, if the resurrection is not true, then what Paul says is none of the message of Jesus is true. And believable. And so the resurrection is the king, the linchpin upon which our faith rests. And that is the good news because by being assured of the resurrection, you can trust that Jesus himself has forgiven your sins on behalf of God. I get out to cemeteries on occasion. And uh, when I get to these cemeteries, it's because I'm doing a burial of one of our members or um, some family, friends. And so when I go around to the cemeteries that, that we have used here, I often think of the Christians from New Covenant whom I have laid to rest. And 
I think of the great reunion that we will all have one day. And that is good news. To know that in the end, it is not the end. To know that the resurrection is true and that as believers, as followers of Jesus who place our trust in that, that we too will experience that resurrection. The good news that Paul writes about then is also that Jesus Christ is our Lord. Remember the shepherds heard it from the angels? The Messiah has been born in Bethlehem and they traipse off to Bethlehem to see the baby. And then one of my favorite pieces of scripture is from Luke 2 as well, but it's towards the end. It's um, when Simeon, a righteous and devout man, who goes to the temple on the day that Jesus, the Holy Spirit's led him to the temple, on the day that Jesus is brought to the temple as an eight-day-old baby for his rite of initiation, his circumcision. And so as Jesus is circumcised in the temple, Simeon sees this baby and knows what God has intended for the world with this baby. And this is what Simeon says. Lord, now you may let your servant depart in peace according to your will. For I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. This one, he is a light to reveal God to the nations. And he is the glory of your people Israel. You see, knowing the story of Jesus really enables us to explain why we have this faith that we have. Why we receive the forgiveness that we have received. You and I have received the grace of God and we have received the authority to share this good news with others. That's what Paul writes in verse 5 when he says through Christ God has given us the privilege literally it should be the grace God has given us the grace and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him bringing glory to his name God has given us grace and the authority as apostles. Sometimes I think we think, well, I could never be like an apostle. I'm just like a, a low, low-line Christian. You know, I'm down at the bottom. I'm, I'm not smart. I'm not faithful enough. I couldn't do what all those, you know, spiritual Christians can do. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome to the Christians there and he's not giving it out they're all apostles they're all called and sent by God into the world 
to share the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus announces that the kingdom of God is coming and that it's actually here. In Mark 1, we are reminded that the, the time has now come, the kairos has now come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus proclaims it. And as we listen to Jesus through the Holy Spirit, we hear what God is telling us. But do we know Jesus well enough that we can speak about him? In his book, uh, Surprise the World, Michael Frost tells a story about when he um, one, one day went out to, to door knock and to raise funds for the Salvation Army in, uh, in Australia. And he said, uh, you know, he had spent the day knocking on doors, and some people had been receptive, some hadn't been so receptive, but got to one, and, and this guy said, oh, let me get you some money. I want to give you a lot, because the salvation saved my family when I was a child. He said, I don't know much about them. He said, matter of fact, you know, can you tell me about them? You know, are they Christians? Do they believe in Jesus? Do they baptize kids? Do they baptize adults? You know, what, what's their statement of faith? You know, what, what is their... Uh, uh, what is their order of hierarchy? Uh, so he had all these questions, and Michael Frost had to say, I'm really sorry. I don't know any of the answers to your questions. I was just asked to come out and raise money for the Salvation Army, so I did. And I'm like you. I know that they've done some great things, so I don't know what they're like or who they are exactly. And so his point is, we as Christians, we don't want to put ourselves into that kind of a position. We want to make sure that, that we have some knowledge about our faith so that we can speak about Jesus and about Christians. Jesus has called us to respond to his calling. So what is Jesus saying to you, and what are you going to do about it? I believe that Jesus talks to us all the time. And we are getting messages every day. We may not be listening all the time, but God is speaking to us all the time. And what is that which we are hearing? What is God saying? What does God want us to do about it? I know of a couple who have committed their estate, their whole estate, to alleviating world hunger. So after their deaths, their substantial estate will go to world hunger. Now, why would somebody do that? Why wouldn't they keep some for their children? We as followers of Jesus are given the opportunity to, to respond to Jesus' calling. And that's, when we respond like that, that's when we begin to live questionable lives that evoke some interest, some questions about who we are and what we believe. When people find this out, they can ask questions. And if they were to ask this couple that question, why did you do this, this couple would have the opportunity to talk about how their acts of justice reflects what they have studied in the life of Jesus in his acts of justice.
They wanted to live their lives like Jesus did. Well, that's a great conversation starter. I also know of a couple who are both physicians and they, they use their vacation time every year to go around the world to third world countries to treat uh, people medically, do, doing surgery, bringing medicines, uh, bringing healing. And so they use a good chunk of their vacation time helping others around the world. Why would you do that? There's the question again, right? Why would you spend all your vacation time doing what you do every day, but doing it for people who can't pay you? You see, these couples have been shaped by Jesus and his teachings. And when their friends ask them about why they do this, they can tell them about their faith in Jesus, about who he is and what he means to them. Now, you don't need to give away all your wealth. You don't need to go to third world countries to live a questionable life. You can start living a questionable life by blessing people and by eating with people whom the world may not eat with. You can begin to be questionable by doing those simple things. And then by shaping your life around the historical reality of Jesus' birth and death and resurrection, by shaping your life around the miracles and the parables of Jesus, by shaping your life around the example of Jesus, you begin to live a questionable life. Read the Gospels over and over. Spend an hour each week just reading the Gospels. Do that for six weeks. And then take a look at how your life has changed in that six weeks. Your knowledge of Scripture, your knowledge about Jesus. When we live questionable lives, people see our strange behaviors. They may even ask you, what is Jesus Christ Superstar? And when they begin to ask you about your motives, then you can begin to speak about Jesus. Learn Jesus. We are saved by Jesus. We are saved by the grace of God. We have been given this life. We are reminded of the presence of Jesus. So why can we speak about our favorite restaurant? and not about Jesus. Will you pray with me? <clears throat> Gracious God, we pray that your word would take root in our lives and that we would begin to know more and more about you, about your son Jesus, and about the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would encourage us and instill within us a, 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 a compulsion to live lives of blessing and eating and learning so that, that our lives might be questionable to our friends. That maybe some of our friends are Christians, but they really haven't been connected to you. That, that you could reconnect with them. Maybe some of our friends have never known you 
that they could know you. Give us, Lord, that ability. Help us to learn.